everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Addict in the Attic. I'm Dan, and I'm here to chat to you about my life of addiction and my road to recovery. Thanks for joining me. Hello, and welcome to episode six of Addict in the Attic. You can reach me on Addict in the Attic tonight at gmail.com. Tips and tricks today. Tips and tricks. I said I was going to talk about uh, some of the little tricks I used to use deep, deep in my addiction uh, that I would do to continue drinking, getting drunk. And I'll try to balance that out with a few little tips that I use to not have to do that now. Sort of normally it would be a drunk Sunday after a Saturday, and I just you know you'd feel like a hangover bearing down on you. I, I kind of called it in a poem the um, eagle that hadn't landed or the vulture that hadn't landed yet, and it was just like keeping it in the air as long as you could. And to be honest, sometimes it, you could roll it over. I could so that it wasn't such a bad hangover. You'd ease it down onto you if you, if you know what I mean. It was by and I'd do that by drinking. Um, a little less the next day, still drunk, but really, you were a frail, wrecked mess of a man uh, come Monday. Really, really um, non-productive, that's for sure. But what I'd do, I'd, I'd wake up and, um, um, you know, my wife would leave, because this is only, I'm talking about last year. My wife would go to work and I'd just, I'd, she had fear and anxiety leaving me alone, uh, especially with the kids, which is horrendous. It's a horrible thing to have to reconcile with myself but she was yeah she was anxious every time she left me on, on my own because she didn't trust me and of course she didn't I didn't trust myself uh, so as soon as she left I would uh, scour the house for alcohol I would normally have hidden it the night before but sometimes I'd forget where I'd hidden it of course uh, so the more cunning and clever I was the night before the harder and more difficult it was to find it the next day but find it I would I would search the house top to bottom until I'd found it if the kids were there or not they were only really young thank god so they didn't really know what was going on uh, but I would leave them sometimes and, and ride down to the bottle shop uh, I'd try not to drink drive so I'd ride down with a backpack ride through the drive through and get what I needed and get back as fast as I could sometimes I drove Definitely, as I said, I'm pretty ashamed of. And I'll get to DUIs because I think they're a really important part of an alcoholic's life, sadly. A big sort of an impact zone. So I'd do that. Um, I'd, if I, I'd find liquor. And I, what I'd do the night before, which I thought was really clever, which wasn't at all because my wife knew anyway, I'd buy two bottles of wine. So I'd drink one and it would get like down to half and then I'd swap it swap it out with the other one and put that half away somewhere else hide it and then quickly drink the other half of the bottle so I'd have a full bottle and think my wife only thought I had half sometimes it worked but as soon as she knew that I mean she you know she put nothing past me so that was one of my tricks doing that with a bottle of wine and I'd buy two bottles of wine and a bottle of scotch so that I never felt like I'd smashed down a whole bottle of anything I had like a half a bottle of wine another half a bottle of wine and half a bottle of scotch and I'd always wake up shocked at how much of the scotch I drank in blackout. Like I'd end up with a third of it or a fifth of it left when I thought the plan was to, you know, have a couple of glasses of scotch. But I'd have these massive tumblers of scotch and soda. Yeah, I was always shocked even at myself at how much of that scotch I got through in blackout. Which, of course, is ridiculous because I can't remember it anyway. Uh, my wife's found me before, like, lying on top of a glass of scotch, not broken. Somehow just completely, motionlessly, like, 
on a glass on the floor and it not smashed. She just couldn't believe the, the next morning, still there. She's filmed me before. I think I mentioned that and I got really angry when she'd do that, which is ridiculous. Like You just don't want to deal with that drunken you. Uh, I'd hide alcohol everywhere. We've got ornaments like vases and stuff where I'd just, you know, I'd hear her coming or a carpool in and I'd put it quickly in the um, vase, like a glass, of a tumbler of wine. I'd have it out of my shed, you know, hiding warm wine. Yuck. I'd, dr I'd go around drinking warm wine just to keep me drunk. That was all it was about. Of course, it wasn't about that refreshing beverage. It was just keeping that drunkenness up to a handable level. And I, you know, that was the obsession, just to remain drunk at all costs, don't get sober. So, you know, the whole weekend I'd just be slightly buzzed. And then when the opportunity was there, completely trashed. Once everyone had, you know, disappeared and it was just me on the couch drinking by myself. So a pretty sad state of affairs, you know, just trying to get rid of the family, wait till they're gone so I can get hammered. No way to live. So, yeah, hiding drinks. I used to obviously put alcohol in coffee cups. One of the, Actually, the, wor the last time I got drunk, uh, my wife got home in one of those situations. And I, I think I mentioned I'd, you know, I thought I'd maybe cured my drinking by going to this um, men's course and dealing with my trauma, losing my mum. And then I had a drunk and it was like one of my worst. And I remember taking my then three-year-old daughter, she's four now, uh, in the pram. Like My wife came in the garage door. I shot out the front door as she came in and I had this coffee cup full of scotch. And I took her to the park thinking that, you know, I was doing the right thing. So she played on the park while I just drank scotch and knew, I just knew then that I was, I'd reached a very ugly low point. I was using my daughter as an excuse to get out and drink and just not even really caring that my wife knew for sure that I was off getting drunk. So I, I kind of came home and just went, yeah, I'm done. That was a real turning point. It was like the course didn't work. It's not going to be fixed. It's not the trauma. I'm back to my old ways and, and kind of worse, just not even really trying to hide it and involving my little daughter in something that should be joyous. And now I must admit, like when I'm at a park sober with them, it's it's kind of nice looking at that contrast of where I was to, to where I am now in just that small time. So yeah, there were some tricks I used to do. And then of course you don't need to trick anyone, you just go and do events and organised stuff to go out with different people. Like I said, hide amongst the masses. Yeah, just keeping that hangover at bay was, was really quite a, an important thing for my weekend. And it was like a game for me. Like uh, My wife would hide the alcohol, but I would uh, make a real game of finding it, and I would always find it. There's only so many places you can hide stuff. So I'd find it, and yeah, it was just a game. How drunk could I get without her knowing? How you know sneaky could I get? So that was all lying and cheating and stuff like that that isn't really who I am. It's not what I do. And it's so nice now, like uh, I do a, a goal setting sort of thing in the morning. But being able to set a goal, I used to set no lying. But now I don't even set that anymore because I, I don't lie. I just don't have to. There's nothing I need to lie about, which is so nice just to be have honesty back in my life. Really nice to be able to be honest. Yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about... So that was some of the tricks. They, they weren't very tricky, were they? No, not at all. Yeah, I didn't have to hide it amongst my family because, yeah, all drinkers, my siblings and my dad, I didn't have to hide it because it was just... It's more accepted, which is, yeah, a thing with our family. 
so it was never discussed or drunken behaviour was never really or is never really frowned upon. My family's fully supportive of what I'm doing, but there was never a time when it was spoken about, as in it took someone else outside my family to sort of pull me up on what was going on with me and my drinking. And that's no judgment on them. That's just how we were brought up. It was actually when Dad, my, my father passed away on Father's Day, ironically enough, um, drinking out on a boat, a bit like Mum, but had a heart attack. And it was quite quite a lot easier after he passed to, yeah, I didn't quit drinking until after he'd passed away. Had a few drinks at his funeral, that's for sure. But soon after that, I stopped. That was it. Uh, because, yeah, I always felt like I was kind of letting Dad down somehow by not drinking. That was that was quite difficult. Uh, he, he kind of didn't think much of the not drinking thing and, and didn't think it was really... I know he would have been 100% supportive of what I'm doing now, no doubt about that, but... Yeah, I just, he just didn't own it as a problem in our family or for him or anyone. It was just drinking was part of life and that's that's how it was and that's fair enough for him. For me, uh, no, no I, I need to break that cycle, that's for sure, and live live a sober life. A positive tip though, there were some ugly tricks. A positive tip, I, I mean, I think, I, I don't know if I've mentioned coffee, but for me, coffee is a massive one. Um, having a nice... Uh, strong coffee when you feel like a drink is a really good one. And I spoke about Rottnest being busy last week. You know that in the afternoon, people come back from the beach, everyone's been out doing stuff when you're away on holidays, camping or whatever, and there's that moment where people start cracking into drinks. Depends on what what you're doing. Some people, if you're on one of those trips where people are cracking in at 8am, and it goes till like 10 p.m. Everyone firing up or later, then that's that's something you should probably, in my opinion, uh, look to avoid. But just normal um, everyday people. I keep saying normal everyday people. I apologise for that. There's no real normal everyday people, but sensible people tend to, you know, have a few beers in the afternoon. Maybe uh, I've noticed that they don't go crazy, and it's quite an easy thing to avoid having to watch that or make it drag you into wanting one. Going for a jog, like I was up in Coral Bay recently and, and that hour or two would, would approach and I'd, I'd save myself for that. I'd go for a 4K jog no matter where I was and it would just burn out that anxious energy and give me adrenaline, give me a bit of a rush. And how empowering, you know, like rather than have a drink, go for a 4K jog. So that's something that works. It could be a walk along the beach. Just get out of there, basically, is what I'm saying. Remove yourself from the situation. Uh, maybe make a coffee when you get back and join them uh, or have one of my drinks that I'm always talking about. But have something that you're able to get out and do that's not hiding away. Um, I don't, you know, maybe don't go and read a book in your tent or whatever because that's a bit depressing. But just get away, do something active that makes you feel good about yourself. You know, maybe reading a book does. Make you feel, I love reading. I'm not dissing reading at all, but you want to do something that maybe gets the endorphins going a little bit. So exercise is a really good one. You know, that, that whole lying, cheating like I was talking about, I, I really suffered from a, a bit of a fraud complex, and my dad did too, ironically. He was a surgeon, and he, he reckons people always, he felt like he was going to get tapped on the shoulder any minute and told, I asked, what the hell are you doing, man? You can't operate on people. And he was one of the best surgeons ever to grace the face of the earth. And I'm the same. I, in my drinking, I was like that. I was like, you know, teaching kids. I was, and I was doing a decent job, but not, not as good as I could have done, obviously, because I wasn't 100% right. I was in my full addiction. But I, I always felt like someone would tap me on the shoulder and say, you can't teach kids, man. You're an alcoholic. And I'm still an alcoholic. And I'm teaching kids... Uh, as well as I ever have, and with more organisation and 
just the energy to do more challenging tasks and, and have more, I don't know, outside the box sort of stuff, I guess, as a teacher now. Like it's opened up. I've just got more energy, really, and more organisation. And I don't have to ride out Monday and some of Tuesday just try to get through. There's none of that. There's no just getting through. So that fraud complex, you know, that's a big thing for us alcoholics. Just the fact we feel like we're lying and cheating and we're going to get found out at any minute. You carry that with you. But if you're an alcoholic who's sober, I don't know, it turns it all on its head, I think. It kind of, you turn, it's like a real comeback story. You're kind of trumping your shit. So all the shit that you used to do, you're doing better now. You, you're kind of doing a comeback story. You, you're putting that all to bed really bravely, I think, and just fighting it. Coming out of your corner, you've been beaten to living shit by Ivan Drago. You're bleeding like a stuck monkey and out you come and you start swinging and you start winning. You've done the rope-a-dope. Uh, it didn't kill you. And now you're starting to get on top of things. You know, the comeback. Ding, ding, ding. Adrian! It's it's a rocky story in your head. I know it's, you know, you're, you're the king of your own lunchbox and all that. But to me, we have selfish people, alcoholics generally. I'm speaking for me, but I think the ones I've met admit the same thing. We're pretty selfish and stubborn and we want it to be all about us. I guess that's why I'm doing this podcast, but I'm not really. I want it to, I honestly really want this to help other people. I know the difference between before and after drinking and in sobriety like it's just worth having it is massively worth having and if i can help one person uh into sobriety who's an alcoholic then job done i really really mean that that's that's my number one goal here just that turning it around that failure you know you're powerless you you admit powerlessness to alcohol hopefully that's the one of the steps to getting to sobriety and health healthiness is just accepting your flaws and and knowing okay i'm an alcoholic and that's huge to be able to say that and accept it is basically saying i'm a flawed human being people fight to be perfect their whole lives some people won't take on challenges because they know they'll fail as an alcoholic who's in sobriety you know you've already admitted that you've you've got this massive fault and flaw but it's a disease so it's not it's not your fault but you you've owned that What's other challenges and failures and stuff? You can take a, take a bit on, I reckon, after you've been through the acceptance of being an alcoholic, which means you can, if you do fall and, and, and go back to drinking, go back out for more experience, as they say in AA, then, you know, you're probably better equipped to go back in again because, you know, we've, we know we're not perfect. And that's what we're working on is just being the best individuals we can be. I think that's a really empowering thing and humbling that you can accept our failures and our faults and not look at them as failures, but just things that have held us back. And now you've got a, a rebirth and a, a chance to really live two lives. And I've heard that before a lot of times from a lot of people live two lives. You know, I haven't completely seen that whole two lives thing. I always really enjoyed life. And I, I will admit I have absolutely had good memories drinking absolute hoots, uh, but I've got a lot of lack of memory thanks to drinking. I don't know what the hell I did. And that's just, that's not living. And, and now look forward to clarity, honesty, self-respect. My wife now can leave the house without anxiety. Uh, I don't have to lie and cheat and use my kids to help me get drunk. My kids don't say, what are we doing here again, Dad, as I drive through the bottle shop? You know, they're the small, small wins that you get. If I'd go away for a weekend or a night, my wife honestly didn't know if I was going to come home. That's how bad it was. She thought that I could probably die and you know what she was right on numerous occasions i nearly did
being able to fail and look at those, I think is a really important part of my sobriety, looking back. And that's why I'm recounting these, these horror stories of mine. Maybe they ring a bell with you, but for me, it's just good to, for me to have it down and recount. I'll, I'll listen to these podcasts back just to remind me of how truly shit my life was in alcohol uh, abuse and in the heart of my addiction it was just really really uh quite sad i would i would have been i would have cried if i'd seen myself in some of the situations that i was in uh, the bits that i remember the bits and pieces i can put together were pretty sad but that's not even talking about the bits that i didn't see the little tricks that weren't very impressive i know but you know that to me that sneaking around uh, stubbornly trying to get drunk was just a real indication that I had a massive problem. And now I'm using that same sneaky stubbornness, not really sneaky, but stubbornness to, to beat alcohol and to beat the cravings and to be smart enough to get through those little moments. And those little moments get further and further apart until you don't really think about them much anymore. So I use that now to my favour. And my voice in my head, that little voice that says, yeah, go on, have a drink. He's been beaten down, and I'll continue to work to keep him silent. And the other one, the good voice, a lot more powerful. I have got a 30-year reunion coming up, which is the first thing that's made me anxious in a long time. I think it's in about two weeks. So I'll keep you posted on that, because that when I first uh, went to sobriety, I had my sister's uh, 50th, and that was causing me all sorts of angst. I was really, really worried about it, drinking with my family. And you know what? I got there, and they didn't even know. I think I mentioned that before. They didn't even realise. I was quite disappointed. No one even asked me, why aren't you drinking? I had this whole spiel ready. But Musk Reunion, you know, these guys I uh, grew up with at school, we didn't drink early days, but later on we did. You know, it's one of those, it, I paid 60 bucks for a ticket for the piss and I'm not even going to drink it. So it's going to be a free, you know, the people are there have paid for drinks. So that makes me nervous because it's going to be, a fair bit of drinking but I'll let you know because you know I'll, I'll be surprised if there isn't uh, a few non-drinkers there and the best thing is I'll be able to hold my head high walk out of there and know exactly what I said to who and call it a night but I'll keep you posted on that because it is causing me a little bit of anxiety I'd be lying if I didn't uh, admit that so how I deal with that I'll share with you uh, in the next couple of weeks i hope you're doing well keeping healthy one day at a time that's the attic in the attic signing off for tonight look forward to sharing again next episode bye for now